Welcome to Kobe Times final episode of 2022. I'm Temur Chief Economist, coming to you without a guest, with our year-end commentary. We called our 2021 outlook a bifurcated world, and the year lived up to that thesis. The global economic recovery was extremely uneven, from vaccine distribution to the impact of the sharp rally in asset markets, both of those favored the wealthy. And let's also not forget all the fiscal and monetary support. They were, of course, the most supportive in nations with the most wherewithal. A globally coordinated approach to distribute medical equipment and vaccines on one hand, financial support on the other hand, would have shortened the duration of the pandemic and softened its blow to livelihoods. But that didn't happen, unfortunately and predictably. Our 2022 outlook is titled Testing the Guardrails. The bifurcated world, after delays and missteps, has built some guardrails, admittedly. Vaccine production is up and distribution is becoming more even. Economies are opening up with vaccinated travel lanes. Strong demand for manufactured goods and commodities is helping the emerging markets that export them. Funds and facilities from multilaterals for short-term challenges like debt repayment and buying medical equipment, and for long-term challenges like transition to renewable fuels, they're becoming increasingly available. Hence, 2022 ought to be characterized by strong consumer demand in developed markets and a substantial reopening dynamic in emerging markets, clouded, of course, a tad by U.S. monetary policy moves. But the Omicron variant threatened to spoil that narrative to some extent. Even if it turns out to have more bark than bite, basically what I'm saying is it's very infectious but turns out to be not particularly lethal, the world's vulnerability to variants is well underscored by these developments. And that again sheds harsh light on the danger posed by the global vaccine inequity. Markets, therefore, will remain on the edge with inevitable news flow of this nature. Now, beyond the pandemic, let's talk about the other big elephant in the room, inflation. The inflation debate, supply versus demand, temporary versus structural, has run its course, with policy liftoff from the emergency accommodation very likely to be the big theme for 2022. The U.S. Fed would have to balance inflation risk against keeping the economic recovery intact. That's the key challenge. Inflation outturn in the U.S. gets most of the headlines, but the phenomenon goes beyond its domestic factors like strong stimulus, tight labor market, and wealth effects stemming from a frothy asset market. In fact, many items in the consumer price index in the U.S. or elsewhere that have soared lately are taking their cues from global prices. Given the prevalence of common factors like natural gas, petroleum, fertilizer, and a range of food items, inflation unsurprisingly has picked up in the euro area and the UK, although not as sharply as in the US. Right here in Singapore, inflation has picked up in recent months, with headline inflation running at 3.2% through October, although the year-to-date average price level is up only about 2% over the corresponding period last year. What about Emerging Asia? Well, China, India, and Indonesia have not yet seen comparable upward pressure to prices, reflecting subdued domestic demand and incomplete pass-through of world prices at the local pump level. Still, inflation by no means is a non-issue in India, and there is a risk of fuel prices being raised in China and Indonesia. 
at the component level, energy prices admittedly have soared this year and demand some degree of scrutiny from us. Uh, think about it. Demand for energy has jumped due to trade rebound, with gas prices jumping on account of low stock and strong demand, especially as coal usage has been discouraged. On oil, OPEC quota has held up, shale production in the U.S. has been poor, and transportation demand has jumped with economic reopening. Then there is coal, which has suffered from pandemic-induced supply disruptions. In all cases, though, supply is coming back, gingerly, but it is coming back. Outside of industrial economies, on the food price side, uh, we have seen a major development with respect to rice and soybean. These are important ones. They have a lot of political and social sensitivities, and there are reasons to worry about these prices and also for broader range of prices. On the rice and soybean side, they rose a lot last year. Uh, they have somewhat moved past the pandemic-induced supply crunch and some idiosyncratic factors. For example, in China last year, there was a major driver for soybean demand and prices because there was a spike in soybean-based feedstock demand. Uh, but uh, these things have somewhat run its course, but not everything. If you think about cereals beyond rice, uh, coffee, sugar, meat, fish, edible oil, these things have gone through major supply shortages while they've had to keep up with sustained global demand. Of these food items uh, that I just talked about, there is no major driver of supply-demand dynamic to ease anytime soon. You see, food production is somewhat inelastic in the short run, and climate change-related events are causing crop failure with increasing frequency. So there is reason to worry here. If elevated food prices is a given, that would cause considerable stress in developing societies that are food import dependent. Another risk for them is that the US dollar strength, which is probably likely next year around taper and rate increase, that would also push up the import costs for developing countries. Now, there is a good chance that energy and food prices won't keep rising. They'll remain high, but not necessarily keep rising, uh, because there would be some degree of demand adjustment. Uh, you may have um, inelastic supply, but there's a limit of how much we can buy these things at very high levels, so demand would have to adjust to some extent. Uh, but one area where demand looks rather inelastic is base metals. Demand for various metals related to electronics manufacturing continues to soar as the world turns more digital and energy transition efforts gather momentum. Low greenhouse gas technologies, including renewable energy, electric cars, hydrogen, and carbon capture, all of these things require more metals than their fossil fuel-based counterparts. A multi-year rally in metals, industrial metals that is, look pretty likely to us, although high prices of metals such as cobalt, copper, lithium, and nickel could inadvertently cause delays in climate transition. So that's one major downside. Interestingly, and finally on the inflation side, precious metals would be obvious candidates for a rally at this juncture, as their historical role has been to act as a hedge against a broader rise in the price level. Oddly, that has really not been the case. Now, earlier, gold and silver both jumped. Uh, that's during the uncertainty-heavy phase of the pandemic, so last year. But since then, gold has been largely flat or weak, uh, while silver, jumping on the back of demand, uh, due from coming from China has corrected lately, also with China's slowdown. 
what does that tell us? Well, to me, that is a major verdict from the market that it is fairly sanguine about the medium-term inflation scenario. So there's a lot of discussion about the near-term inflation, and we recognize some of those risks. But for the medium-term, market-based indicators are telling us there isn't not that much to worry about. That's that for inflation. Let's move on. Uh, what are the other risk factors for 2022? Well, first in that list is the state of the asset market, marked by historically high valuation across the spectrum. While interest rates, liquidity, and investor appetite remain conducive for that fraud to persist, the space between profit-taking and a downward spiral are, is narrowing because of such lofty net levels. Unlike the Chinese authorities, who appear impervious to asset price correction, to some extent, the Fed faces tremendous pressure to support the markets. And therefore, 2022 will bring several tests uh, for the Fed, which would want to go ahead with taper and rate increases, but at the same time would, would not want to undermine asset markets in a very big manner, because then the negative wealth effect can percolate through the system and cause the recovery to falter. The second risk factor is China. The global economy and markets took notice of China's market sell-off and economic slowdown in 2021, but there was actually very little spillover. That's surprising given China's large scale. Now, just because that didn't happen in 2021 doesn't mean it will not happen in 2022. So we think that further correction in China, be it from pandemic resurgence, regulatory crackdown, or power shortage, could put a major dent in global demand and investor sentiment next year. So watch out for that. Third, dealing with the fiscal cost of the pandemic. Now, many countries have seen their debt-GDP ratio go up by 15 to 30% over the past couple of years. Regardless of the level of interest rates, the time to stop adding to debt has arrived, which would require both healthy GDP growth and reduction in fiscal support. So you need GDP to continue to grow. That can add uh, or stop addition to grow, uh, debt GDP to go up. Or you can start cutting back on fiscal support, which can also then reduce the fiscal impulse and debt-creating flows. Now, this is going to be a challenging act, to say the least, with a high chance of a few sovereign stumbles. You can't really orchestrate a slowdown in the debt market without some stumbles here and there. You have already seen that in some parts of the world. So these risks are likely to manifest outside of Asia, more so than Asia, but the stress could certainly spill over to these shores. Coming back to the Fed's forthcoming challenges, even if uh, developed asset markets manage to handle the liftoff, two questions will linger. First, would inflation come down with a bit of policy normalization, or would it require forceful growth dampening action? Second, would emerging markets be able to handle the likely volatility in capital flows that would accompany the Fed moves? So, lots to worry about. But it is important to pay close attention to these risks, surely. There is also a good chance that it could all work out next year. These are not some airy-fairy aspirational points I'm about to make. Consider the following. In the near term, the transition to an endemic COVID could keep progressing. Put aside Omicron for a second. Think about the wider picture. Vaccination, rollout of antiviral treatments, herd immunity being built up. Well, then maybe we are actually not at a very scary part of the pandemic, but we're actually the final chapter of the pandemic. Then there is the issue of supply-side bottlenecks, especially at the ports. They're going to ease. 
uh, consumer demand may remain resilient, but the way to release the goods, the way to distribute the goods is certainly within our grasp and it is in the offing. Then there is a big challenge of our generation, China, US. They're not going to become allies in 2022, uh, but they could certainly find areas of detente, especially over climate change and technology. And that could make for a calmer 2022, supported by the guardrails of geopolitics, economics, and finance. That's it for this year. We hosted 28 episodes of Coffee Time in 2021, covering subjects from fintech to climate change, and of course, global macro and the pandemic. What a fascinating time to cover global markets and economies. We thank you, our listeners, for your time and feedback. Thanks to those wonderful guests who have kindly given their time and insights to the show. Thank you, Martin Tucky, for your impeccable production skills. Daisy Sharma and Violet Lee, thank you for your tireless support. We wish you all a happy and healthy holidays and a joyous new year with your loved ones. See you in 2022.